Welcome to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. This special episode is produced in collaboration with Independent Art Fair New York City. It will be part of the fair's OVR for its next edition from September 9 to 12, 2021. I'm Daniela, and this podcast is about my personal and also about a lot of other people's enthusiasm for art. Art can touch on all parts of life, and therefore we talk about all parts of life. I hope to get you on board and to tell you interesting stories you enjoy listening to. We're recording via the internet, so please excuse any glitches and sound quality. Episode 35, recorded June 3, 2021. My guest today is Mills Moran, co-owner with his brother Al of the gallery Moran Moran and co-founder of Felix Art Fair in Los Angeles. The gallery constantly evolves with new plans and will be showing Kelty Ferris at this year's Independent Art Fair, of which we will hear more later. Hi Mills, very nice to have you. Hi Daniela, thank you for having me. Mills, you and your brother started quite some different projects in the arts with such an energetic entrepreneurial spirit. And um, to get an understanding about this drive, as always, I want to start from the beginning. Can you tell me a bit more about your background, how you grew up and how you first encountered art? Yeah, of course. Again, thanks for having me. Um, I guess anybody's story should start at the beginning, right? When, mm -hmm. um, all the way down to childhood. So my brother and I, we were born in El Salvador. My mother was Cuban. She moved there when she was, when she was a child, maybe two or three years old. I met my father, you know, as a teenager. We left El Salvador around the time I was five or six. It was during the Civil War. Um, mm. My father was actually part of a team that was trying to overthrow the, the military regime that was oh. uh, coming into power. Wow. Um, yes, it was a fascinating story. So there was a lot of bloodshed, including mem okay. members, members of our family and, and other friends that were part of his team. But we managed to escape. So I was very young when we uh -huh. left. We did a brief stop in Guatemala where we had family, but then ultimately went to Los Angeles, literally with the you know, the clothes on our backs and whatever we had in our suitcases when we got there. So, you know, the last thing my parents were really trying to impart on me at that age as I was growing up was about culture and art. It was really more about survival. Wow, and, okay. um, you know, so we, we grew up in LA, you know, my, my parents were sort of clawing it together. Ultimately, we moved around the time I was 10, we moved to Miami to move in with my mother's parents so mm -hmm. really around the age of 10 through high school and my, those formative years they were spent in Miami again it was more about just being a kid and surviving versus you know trying to understand the world at large and the culture at large so at that point still hadn't had much interaction or much exposure to the art world zero quite frankly um, oh, that's fascinating <laughs> okay so even more interesting how it could happen then yeah uh, well I mean it kind of all coalesces later but went to college at the age of 18, received some very unfortunate news about my parents, which led to maybe like eight to 10 years of, of confusion and indecision on my part, trying to understand what I wanted to do and how, how I sort of wanted to interact with the world. Uh, moved to California, to the Bay Area, lived there probably to like 2006. And at the same time, sort of simultaneously, my brother was a lot more focused. And when he got out of college, he worked and eventually was the co-owner of a printing operation in Miami that mm -hmm. was extremely successful. Mm -hmm. um, 
And him and I actually didn't talk much throughout the early aughts, you know, between like 2000 and 2005. Uh, without the linkage of our parents, there wasn't much, uh, there wasn't holidays together. There wasn't, um, we didn't see each other. And we were oh. on the other sides of the coast and we barely, okay. we barely spoke. Yeah. So, I mean, I remember, I remember getting, getting a cell phone for the first time, maybe 2004, 2005. And him and I, it was one of those flip phones. And I, I would te- we would text a little bit, and it was one of those te- where you had to hold down the, the number to get to the letter you wanted. You know, yeah, if you wanted I to remember you, that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I literally remember texting with my brother, and at that time, he was spending a lot of time in New York. And we sort of loosely texted about me visiting, which I did. So we went to New York, and at that time, through his printing operation, he was doing a lot of work for, for artists in general, that whether they wanted you know, to publish you know, invitations for exhibitions, if they wanted a catalog, if they wanted a zine. Uh, he sort of became someone in the New York art world that was known for uh, being able to produce these objects for people. And so I went over there and still kind of in my late 20s, trying, you know, still in a sense of confusion and not really understanding how I fit into the world, mm. um, started meeting a lot of these artists. And I immediately, understood this this community and how this community was really opening they opened they opened their arms to people well especially anyone that could help you with printing there was definitely something that i saw that kind of made me feel included and i went back to california uh, eventually moved back to miami where my brother was sort of back with the print shop and at that point we just started talking every day and figuring out a way to work together and how we could work together and Seeing that community, that sort of post 9-11 downtown New York scene and befriending a lot of those artists and, you know, through my brother's connections and making my own connections and working our way into put together an offsite exhibition in Miami. You know, at that point, Basel had been like a, f- a few years in and, mm-hmm. you know, being from Miami, we knew it so well. We started looking at spaces and we, we did an offsite show and it was just it was intoxicating to, mm-hmm. to, to put on an exhibition. It really was. And to, to have an opening and to sort of meet people, new people, and, and to have people inquire about works. And, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. I literally had no idea what we were doing at that point. But you said, you said that you, you felt included by that community. Does that mean that before you felt a little bit like excluded, a little bit alien? And also then was it more about the people first and because it was like special people and then kind of like you, you fell into the arts? 100% it was about the people first. And mm-hmm. I did feel included in this community. I didn't have a community before. I just felt, I just felt very um, out there and sort of, again, indecisive about how I wanted to fit into the world. And this community was actually very inviting. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting to say, because I think a lot of people would say that, well, the art world, probably not the artist community, but the, the art world is quite excluding and not so much including. I would agree with that, but it was the artists that were, mm-hmm. that were more including. And when artists don't really see you as a threat, when they see you as someone that can be additive to their careers or even you know, in any way help or even mm-hmm. bounce ideas off, I think they're very inviting. And I think that's really kind of been the root of our gallery is working in that manner in a collaborative way with not only our artists, but ultimately with the galleries that we share artists with. But, you know, at that time, life sort of clicked for me and what I wanted to, how I wanted to live and who I wanted to be sort of just immediately 
struck a nerve in my, my brain. And, um, and my brother and I are very, like you said, very entrepreneurial. So a lot of people's in, instincts would have been to go work for a gallery. Mm-hmm. Instead, we, we got this space in, in Miami that was a large warehouse. And it was, you know, there's the Wynwood area of Miami. We were like further, further west of Wynwood. Nowhere near any of where any of the new galleries are now. But we would invite artists to use the studio space. There were several artists that I became sort of like a de facto studio manager. I would help them out. I would help them make work. I did a lot of production work for several artists and we gave them space. We never asked for anything in return. We never charged them studio rent. We, you know, we just, I never got paid. It was, <laughs> it was, it was all, yeah, you know, I felt like I had to cut my teeth somehow in the art world and, you know, trying to making money at that point was definitely necessary, but it wasn't the priority, especially. And also by helping with production, you learn so much about art. I learned so much. I learned so much. And I learned a lot from the galleries, when yeah. they would, even when they would pick up work and release work. And, you know, I met dealers that would come down to visit these artists. And now I'm friends with these dealers. Some of them do Felix, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a pleasure actually to, to learn because I wanted, I wanted to learn so bad. I wanted to understand so bad how, how I can make a living off this world mm-hmm. and in this world that it was, you know, a couple of year period where definitely could have used the money, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything that, that was a priority. And then in 2008, we turned that warehouse into a gallery. Mm. So we did our first show during Miami Basel 2008. We had guest curators, mostly from New York. There was names like Jeffrey Deitch and Perez mm-hmm. Projects. And, you know, we had works from Nate Lohman and Dan Cole and you know, Lizzie Bugato. So there was like 40, 50 artists in the show. And it was sort of mind-blowing how in just a few short years, we were able to call together this a really exciting exhibition that drew a lot of people, you know, and Dashno was the first artwork I ever sold. And now mm-hmm. we represent the estate of Dashno. So, you know, things like that have this narrative throughout our, my career are really fascinating. But that sounds very natural as if things just happened, like they just fell in place and you just did things you wanted to do, but there was not this like big plan or strategics or business was- plan or anything. That was quite the opposite of a strategic <laughs> plan, to, to be That's honest. That's the best, I think, actually. <laughs> it was very organic and, and sort of un- unplanned and, you know, trying to figure it out at the same time. There was definitely some disadvantages to never having worked in a gallery, but I actually, I think a lot of it worked in our favor. Just the conversations that we were able to have with artists that I think if you go through the gallery, there are certain protocols that, that you have to abide by but at the same time you know people that work at galleries get into the bigger art fairs a lot quicker than people that don't so i think that set off a chain of events for us that for the next four years we did this off-site show in miami that was amongst the collector community that was really successful Mm -hmm. but amongst galleries and the fairs just didn't really resonate in a way that now i think people doing off-site things is a lot more accepted back then it was like you said that's when the art world becomes very uninviting when they don't see you sort of fall in line with with how things work and i think that mentality has really changed in the last 20 years and i think that's a good thing yeah absolutely also it it changes a lot when you first are something like an artist space or a project or then you turn into suddenly you turn into like a professional Mm -hmm. gallery commercial gallery then suddenly the rules change a lot and it might become less inviting but it might have helped a lot that you are working with your brother and you said he's much more focused so how how are the dynamics between you two 
Well, <laughs> okay. I think we're both we're both focused. I just like when we started, he had a little bit more of a life plan when he got out of college. But no, you're absolutely right, though, in a way, as far as our dynamic, like we're both such people. The relationship, I think, to us is everything. But mm. yeah, he's, he's definitely the one who keeps me organized. I think I tend more towards, you know, the conversations and the relationships in terms of the majority of my job. And he definitely keeps us sort of focused on where we're going. But you decide things together. Yeah, absolutely. Taking on a new artist or starting oh, a new yeah. enterprise. How, how yeah. is that process going? So you're always like of one opinion or is it more like real discussion going on? No, it's real discussion. And mm -hmm. there's, you know, a lot of times we've said no to a lot of things because one of us didn't agree to it. I mean, I think oh, that's okay. natural. Even if one needs to be convinced, I think I definitely need to sell him on my ideas and he needs to sell me on his in order for something to happen. And, and a lot of times there's faith, you know, if I know that he believes in something or vice versa, if he looks in my eyes and knows I strongly believe in this, he's going to go with it because he knows that it's, it's a passion. Oh, so it has to do with trust, trusting the other. Well, I think that comes in any business and especially when you layer family. Yeah. Family, I think you should have the ultimate trust ultimately. So I think it's maybe a little bit easier from that standpoint, but definitely based on trust, but it's also based on belief and, and it's grounded in, in ideas that need to have substance to them. And I think mm -hmm. we both bring that to the table. Is that also basis for the relation to the artist? I mean, you must be convinced of the quality of the art for sure, but does the personality of the artist also play a role that you have the feeling you have somebody you can trust, you can work with on a human basis, which appeals to you, which is important? It is important. You know, sometimes you can get away with a relationship that doesn't have that, but I think largely I wouldn't have the roster that I did if it wasn't the majority of artists that I personally would want to spend time with that also trust. We are a bit of a family gallery, even no matter how much we've grown. You know, I was just in New York and tried to have dinner with as many people as I could when I was there. And most of, most of that is artists. Mm. We always get groups of people together and introduce artists to other people. And that sense of community has never wavered. And I think it, it's something that I continue to push forward through my travels and through the interactions I have with the art world is I always try to bring people together, get them in a room, break bread together. Mm -hmm. It definitely breaks down walls and barriers. And, and I've seen a lot of relationships flourish through simple introductions, just the way people have introduced people to me. And, you know, from that standpoint, I've always appreciated that because you can kind of make a strong friendship with someone over a simple introduction. Mm -hmm. So you're absolutely willing to open up, to be vulnerable, to show something of yourself to the people yeah, you, you meet. Yeah, you have to. You have to, yeah. The question a lot of owner-run galleries ask themselves is to run a successful business and sometimes harder decisions have to be made or it's about money, you know, and still keep that openness, keep that vulnerability, keep this sensitivity. How, how do you go about that? How, how do you manage that? Well, I mean, honestly, it's, it's kind of rooted in how we got into this industry and it's, mm. it's very organic. The process is always very organic and it is difficult sometimes, but mm. being open, having an open line of communication, being available for your artists, assisting them in their studio practice when they need it, you know, it goes a long way. Mm. Artists ultimately need resources, they need support. They need emotional support, financial support. It's a lot of work. And, you know, there's moments where it's exhausting. But when I knew that this existed, I knew it's what I wanted to do. And working with artists is the biggest joy that I get out of this industry. Mm. You know, to me, they're as important as any client could be, you know, mm -hmm. in most mm -hmm. cases, more important. I don't have anything without their contributions to our program and to the system that we built.
You know, there's nothing without the art. That is, that is absolutely true. And without the people who create it, but also something comes back, you know? So it is like, if you give so much of yourself, something also comes back from the artists. Yeah, and we've always taken that sort of approach as, you know, you have this blind faith that it's going to come back to you eventually, but you have to, you have to put it out first. A very common theme between my brother and I is this will pay off later. This will pay off later. You know, we constantly used to tell ourselves that when we were <laughs> young. We were younger. And so some days you're sitting there like, when is it going to pay off? <laughs> Absolutely. But you have your brother, which is really great. Yeah. And do you have this kind of relationships also to your clients, to the collector? Because I mean, Felix Artfair, you found it together with a collector, with Dean Valentine. With Dean Valentine. So yeah. it must be also a very trustful relationship as far as I now understand how you work. Yeah, there's a few collectors that have become uh, incredibly close to me personally. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I consider them friends as, as much as collectors. I think when you have that attitude, you can't just have it in a singular part of your life. It has to be, has to be sort of a 360 view. And it's funny you say that because, yeah, there's one collector who, I guess he was leaving to Connecticut last weekend and I was in New York and he's like, well, can you have breakfast Friday morning before I leave? And I, you know, I'm not an early bird, especially when I'm traveling. <laughs> and I said, sure. <laughs> I said, sure. What time do you want to, you know, what time do you want to have breakfast? 11, 1130. And he's, he was like, no, at eight, because I got to get on the road. And I said, Jesus Christ, Jay, <laughs> you're the only human being I would pull out of, pull myself out of bed this early to go meet for breakfast. And, and we did. And, you know, I, I appreciate his friendship. You know, we talk all the time about life and our families and sometimes art. And he's been incredibly supportive to my artists. He's someone I value very personally. And that I was able to enter this world and form relationships like that, I think is really rewarding. I think this is one of the great things actually in this world that it can be entered from, from so many different starting points, you know, that there's not a recipe. Actually, there are no set rules, even if people sometimes say there are set rules, but there are no set rules. We can just do it how we want it. And that's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of it. But like you said, sometimes it can be very difficult. But I think if you, if you believe in it, anyone that doesn't have the passion for this industry, everyone can sort of smell that from a mile away. And that's mm. why there's a lot of people that have tried and failed and they think they want to do this and then and that's not for them. You know, without that passion, I think it's, it's impossible. But with that passion, you could come at it from almost any angle and make a life out of it. Mm, and it can go a long way. But let's go back to this curated exhibitions you did mm -hmm. in the warehouse uh, in mm -hmm. Miami. Yep. So how did it continue from there? Well, we did four years of those shows and they were called It Ain't Fair, which mm -hmm. is sort of a play. It's, <laughs> it's a play on you know, not being in the main fair or, or, or any fair for that matter. But I think there was this moment where we felt like, well, we could be this project and do these annual blowouts. I remember one year, Cyprian Guillard took a forklift to the roof, did a performance and then sprayed the entire crowd with, with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> as we had one of his films playing inside the gallery. They were nuts. We had performances, musical performances, and the energy that we created from that uh, definitely got us a decent amount of press. And at that point, there was sort of an inflection moment where we had to figure out if we wanted to keep doing this or if we wanted to move to a larger market and really in earnest start building a program. So we looked at New York, we looked at LA. We felt like there was more, at that time, more mm -hmm. availability more space in LA to, to sort of grow. Where in New York, it 
could have been a slightly more competitive. And a lot of the artists that we knew were already represented in New York. Yeah, so absolutely. Mm. my brother and I, we packed up our bags and our families and, and moved to LA and just started the gallery there. That was 2011. We opened the gallery in West Hollywood. But that was not a wow. That was a wow. It always was a while before, even in Miami. Mm -hmm. So we got a space that we spent 10 years in, really sort of cultivating the program and, and developing and changing and growing. And, you know, that was sort of our period where we grew into a program and we grew into representing artists and we grew into having a client base and sort of operating more and more every year, like a gallery and less of a project space. But did you have relations there when you moved to LA or did you have to build the relations there from scratch? You knew a few people. Mm -hmm. At that point, the world was just really becoming global in terms of connectivity. Mm -hmm. Social media wasn't really fully on, but between just connections and email and texting people and visiting and flying and, and you know, the world was just becoming smaller and smaller at that point. So we knew a few people, but definitely we had some friends that really helped introduce us to people at that point, really helped us grow. And at that point, we still had this sort of New York aesthetic in terms of artists and a lot of our collectors were still in New York. What is the New York aesthetic in, in comparison with the LA aesthetic? Well, it was just sort of that a big part of our gallery sort of grew out of the post 9-11 crowd. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of the people that we would show in Miami. And we just didn't know a lot of LA artists. It wasn't so much an aesthetic. It was just familiarity. Mm -hmm. The people that we, sh we would show and had relationships with, they lived in New York. And at that point, we hadn't really uh, met a lot of gallery, a lot of artists in LA. We had just moved here. That would take years. You know, even today, I think three quarters of our program is the art based. Mm. Again, everything gets smaller and smaller. And even now the world is smaller with how people know and, and interact with each other. But yeah, back then it was before a lot of galleries moved to LA. Mm. We had like a good three, four or five years operating here before LA became a real scene. And I think that was interesting as well. And that might have been also great because you were like in this starting crowd. Right. When LA became more and more suddenly also a gallery town, which it wasn't before it was always like an artist town i remember when in the 90s i once visited john baldessari as an art student and he told me oh for galleries you have to go to new york you know yeah exactly exactly mm -hmm. and that's different now it's different now and also to that point a lot of new yorkers didn't show in la and i mm -hmm. think that's what we originally wanted to do is to bring that art here to show it to this collecting base that was now growing. A lot of new people in, in the arts, the collecting world in LA. And it definitely expanded, mm -hmm. it ballooned. We saw a change right before our eyes and it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. You said in one hand, the world is getting smaller and smaller because we're all much better connected. Yep. But also it seems like Moran Moran is growing and extending all the time, creating new projects. So tell me more about why you had found something like Felix Art Fair. Where did, did that come from? Well, I think the spirit of Felix and like you mentioned earlier, Dean Valentine, we met Dean Valentine at the first ever It Ain't Fair. Mm -hmm. That's how fun those projects were to meet great collectors like Dean. But so Dean, we knew LA was moving in that direction, especially with Freeze announcing their plans for a fair here. Yep. And it was interesting to partner with Dean. He literally walked into the gallery one day. We just started talking about art fairs and that there needs to be a better way. And I think a week later, we were forming an LLC or a business together. 
Um, That's so cool. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. I'm not even exaggerating. But, you know, from Dean, I, I love doing this with Dean because he came at this from a collector standpoint and we came at it from a protect the gallery standpoint. Mm -hmm. And when you have two like minds, they have sort of the singular goal at the end of the tunnel, but they're two different constituents. Mm -hmm. His crowd is the collectors, our crowd is the gallerists. I wanted to create a fair that I wanted to participate in for lack of any grander goal or idea. Something that wouldn't put a strain on my gallery from a price standpoint, but would also yes. give maximum exposure from a collector standpoint. You know, the, the fair system, it, it could be very onerous for a gallery. You put out all the money for the booth. You pay all the shipping costs, sometimes production for the artist's work. To travel, you book the hotels for your staff. Before you know it, you're, you're out of pocket X amount of dollars and you have mm -hmm. no guarantees of seeing any of that back. So we wanted to create an environment that was not only financially low pressure, it was really important to me that a gallery could make a decision to bring an artist to the fair that had nothing to do with the price of real estate. Mm. So if you're in a larger fair and you, you have an artist that hasn't had a project in three years and you're in a bigger fair, the cost of that wall is you know, just that wall alone, you can't justify the, the yep, risk. Yep. And what happens to that artist? He loses another opportunity to be seen by not only a collector base, but also a curatorial base. You know, all the museums, all the curators come to Felix, they see the work, they usually acquire works. And you have this opportunity that just goes bye-bye because you can't justify financially, right? Yep. So being able to provide a low-cost fare and we have just everyone that's in town or visiting, they all come and it's manageable. Last year we did 60 galleries. This summer we're doing an LA only edition with 29 galleries. It seemed like something I wanted to participate in that would make sense for my business. At that point, that was an easy decision to mm -hmm. sort of move forward and be one of the co-founders and, and start this thing. What I find interesting in that is that it was very high quality and you didn't get the feeling it was like the the small or the young or the alternative. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in a good way, the alternative, yes, but it was not yep. like the B fair, you know, because usually Correct. you have Correct. the big fair and then you have the little fair. And this was not like the B fair. If you read through this, what it offered, it was like, oh yeah, that that's a great fair, you know, for galleries to participate. As you said, you want to participate in that fair. And that's really hard to pull off, but I think we have. Yeah, quite cool. So you said in the summer you're doing an LA only version yep. of Felix. And I would be especially interested in knowing how Felix can adapt or adapt it to the new circumstances during and after COVID mm -hmm. and also what your plans are for this year and maybe also the coming years. The LA only fair came about basically because mm -hmm. of COVID, but now the more we study the impact that the fair could have, we love the idea. And I think we might consider keeping this as an annual summer mm -hmm. fair with LA galleries. There's been a gallery association that's sort of grown out of the pandemic. So galleries for the first time in LA have come together and formed an association and there'll be sort of a gallery art week. And I think this as a component of that with galleries putting on great shows, you know, sort of prioritizing good shows for this mm -hmm. period, eliminating this, oh, it's a summer show. Let's get a 
group show with 18 artists, you know, eliminating that sort of mindset and understanding that the summers in LA are quite fascinating because there's a lot of Europeans that come, they rent a house for the summer and they stay here and they love it. And they always come to the gallery and you sort of question like, why didn't we have better decisions in the previous years with our exhibitions? Because you have this great community Mm -hmm. here. So now I think Felix is that component could be really interesting. And from a COVID standpoint, since it's only, the reason it's a smaller fair is because of COVID, because we're only using the outdoor area. We're using the, the pool area, mm-hmm. which is all the, all the cabanas and the suites and not having anyone go up the elevator up to the mm-hmm. tower. Now the tower has beautiful rooms and they have lovely presentations. You know, Allison Jakes had this amazing presentation to Sheila Hicks the year before. You could do great, great, great shows up there. But I think for safety, mm. And for everyone's comfort level, you know, most of America is vaccinated, but I think people still want to feel comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I think that changed how you sort of like deal with closeness. Yeah. So I think we wanted to make something that was safe and impactful. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's hopefully what we've done for the summer. And what are the plans for like the regular Felix for next year? Yeah, that will be back in February and it'll go back to being sort of a global fair with international roster of galleries. We'll do 60 again. Mm. So two floors in the tower and all the cabanas. Again, this all hinges on the safety of the world and the health crisis. It's all moving in that direction. I feel like we'll be able to host the fair next February. Mm. I have the feeling already this summer it's kind of starting like with the vaccinations and everything, although we're not through the pandemic, but things are happening, happening faster, faster. Again, do you think we will just continue as it was? Or do you perceive there's a learning process and there's upcoming changes in the art world? Also, if you consider like the whole discussion about the climate crisis and CO2 footprints and everything. It's a really good question. Personally, me and and my colleagues, friends, we've sort of initially have decided to, the way we travel is to take less trips, but make them longer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was in New York for eight days. Um, Normally I would probably gone for four days and five days and, and gone back maybe 30 days later. So that I think is an immediate change for me. We're opening a space in Mexico City, which we could talk about a little bit later. But Absolutely. I'm going to be there from the 10th to the 27th of June. Part of that is just the legwork it takes to open a space, but also another part of that is not have to make multiple mm-hmm. trips. And I think that's something that's changing for a lot of people. But how how the circuit, like the art yeah. circuit, will, will sort of connect back into this world is a real question that I have, and I'm, I'm interested to see that. And this is a discussion I've had with Al, with my mm. brother. How many fairs are we going to do? How many European fairs are we going to try to do? Um, do we try to just stick to the large fairs and, and focus on those? Because, you know, there's regional fairs that have a really good impact for specific niche projects, especially with certain artists. Questions like that. The art world is a little bit of a herd mentality. Everybody's sort of looking to see what everyone else is yeah. doing in a way. We just run right? like sheep after <laughs> the other. <laughs> yeah, right. We just want yeah, to be part I think of that's the part crowd. Of it also is, is sort of a little bit waiting, reacting and seeing how things move. I think things have to change. I just don't know. And like you said, the carbon footprint, that's important. And it's becoming more important for everybody, not even just the art world. Absolutely. You know, people are looking at Bitcoin and saying, well, look how much energy you use. Maybe this isn't a good solution. A lot of people think the environment conversation just sort of goes away after a while, uh, but this, it doesn't seem like it's going away. And I think it will have a big impact. 
and it's more important than ever. COVID, that will pass at some point. But this is, I mean, this is kind of like the survival of the planet. So that is a discussion. Yeah. I don't think that a younger generation will just let it pass. Yeah. But you just mentioned that you're opening up a gallery in Mexico City. So yeah. why Mexico City? Well, I mean, if you go back to my roots, mm -hmm. being from Central America and having Spanish as my first language and then sort of growing up in that in a household that, that was Spanish speaking first, it, it made it a lot easier. We always talked about a second space and we never had the right idea, I think. Mm -hmm. And part of the pandemic for a lot of us was sort of reflecting on how we wanted to be after this, like the conversation we just had, how we wanted to operate after the mm -hmm. pandemic and what we wanted to do to grow our business and what kind of ideas we could, you know, there was a lot of self-reflection and there was a lot of time mm -hmm. to have these conversations where a lot of, a lot of the previous years, you're, you're zipping back and forth and sending a message here and there to your brother and, and you don't always have that moment to spend an hour on the phone or, or go get coffee or go for a walk in the park, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so this space seemed like the most exciting way to grow the gallery. Uh, Mexico City as a destination for art is has just grown immensely in the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. The collectors down there, the ones I, don't, I hadn't even known existed before even starting this venture are, are actually incredibly brilliant and powerful and smart and they can do a lot for supporting your artists mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that have a hunger and thirst for this for contemporary art and we did a project in, for Zona Mako which was a project in the space that we ultimately signed a lease on and we had to work up for, it was a singular work by Soil Thornton um, we had 600 visitors to the gallery in four days wow and it was it was it was something I had never seen before so we had we had some collector friends down there that they took over a building where an ambassador would live in Polanco. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful building with stained glass windows that are about 30 feet tall. And they offered us the ground floor of the house to open a gallery. And so we, you know, we did Zoom visits. We did video walkthroughs. We never saw the space before we signed the lease. <laughs> and that's something that's very different from before where I would have flown down there half a dozen times and, and gone on a tour with a realtor and, and looked at spaces. And the beauty of the pandemic is it allowed you to come to sort of grips with some of your ideas and, and have meaningful discussions with your team mm -hmm. about how you wanted to grow and also force you to make a decision, force you to decide on what you wanted to do without actually having to go through the regular steps and the regular channels. We signed the lease last, I don't know, November, December. I saw the space for the first time in April. So it was a leap of faith. Yeah, it's a very constant <laughs> theme in my life. It was a leap of faith. and. When I saw the space in April, I knew we made the right choice. Mm -hmm. And since then, we've been doing construction on it and we'll be opening June 17th with a solo exhibition of Robert Maplethorpe. And it's curated by Tobias Ostrander, who's just a fantastic curator and such a wonderful person to work with. Yeah, I'm excited. And will you create another programming for that space? Representing people solely in Mexico City is probably not something we want to do. I think it'll mm -hmm. be the same program, but with Mexico, we're giving ourselves a lot of freedom with how we want to program it. So I would say it'll be probably half gallery roster exhibitions, and then the other half would be just things that we're really interested in doing. Like curated projects, just what you want to do. Yeah, Ebony Haynes is going to curate the show in October. Mm -hmm. You know, and Louis Gispert will be a solo. He's one of our artists. He'll be a solo show in September. We have very interesting projects for next year. I think they're fantastic shows. And I think Mexico City is such a great venue for them. 
And a lot of people I speak to are very excited about showing in the house. Yeah. You know, the architecture is so different from a gallery. And so as we're talking about the artists right now, my last question would be, could you tell me a bit more about your special project at Independent this year with Kelty Ferris? Yeah, we're going to do a solo booth with Kelty. She has a show that just came down in Mitchell Innocent, New York. A lot of the work from that show sort of transitioned from our last show, which had very textural-based abstract paintings and this work. It was a little more flatter, but the direction that she's going in with color and with graphite was really fascinating. Kelty is a fascinating, fascinating artist. And as a dealer, one of my favorite artists to work with. This booth, I think is really special. And you personally, right now, what is art giving you? What is the most important thing you feel that art is contributing to society? Well, I think in, in many ways, it, for us that are in the industry, it, it really held us together through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We sort of didn't stop showing work, either through OVRs or trying to understand what's in the studio from artists and showing that to collectors. I mean, there was a break. It was a huge break of physical exhaustion and travel. Mm -hmm. But the dialogues and the, the conversations, we kept having those however we could with people, whether it be video, whether it be text message, whether it be email, again, keeping us together, feeling the community growing stronger, mm. especially our, the community we've created. In a way, since we're all separate and in separate areas and separate places, but being in this sort of small connected world allowed the pandemic to maintain these intimate relationships. I don't think it was hard to do that at all. No, I think communication is key. Yeah. And so we became more organized as a gallery. We became more organized as people, I think, because you had more time. Mm -hmm. And I think that allowed us to, you know, now when I see people, it's like, yeah, I haven't seen them in a year and a half, but I've not only have made friends throughout this process, mm -hmm. people that I wasn't close with before, but the ones I, I was already close with, it was sort of seamless just to fall right back into conversation in person. That sounds wonderful, Mel. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. This was a special Voices on Art episode created in collaboration with Independent Art Fair New York. Listen to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or the platform of your choice, on our website van-on.net, and from September on in the Independent OVR at independenthq.com. Follow Independent Art Fair on Instagram at independent underscore HQ and the podcast at Voices on Art and at van underscore horn underscore Düsseldorf. Thank you for listening to Voices on Art, the Van Horn Gallery podcast hosted by Daniela Steinfeld. Stay tuned and connect.